Okay, welcome back to Science and Society episode four. I have with me here Sammy Alabdraba in Corvallis, Oregon area. And uh, I'm really excited to talk with Sammy. I actually worked with him last year on a climate, climate change event about environmental ethics, talking about uh, basically the intersections of Islam and science, especially looking at ethics. So I think we're gonna have a really cool discussion um, for some background intro on Sammy Alabdraba, he is the uh, he's the chair of Corvallis School District. He's also a doctoral candidate at Oregon State University in the College of Engineering, and he's also working on a doctoral project in industrial engineering. And uh, start of off, start us off, Sammy. I was wondering. If you could give an intro on what your uh, what your project is on in grad school, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So uh, the research that I'm working on, actually, I'm actually recruiting for participants. The last uh, study, uh, anyone is interested, uh, I'm looking for uh, what we need to know and how we go about our decisions in case of emergency and there is a protective action required to be implemented. Uh, usually, those decisions are uh, taken on several levels. Uh, when you design a system, uh, let's say a car, a vehicle, uh, there is a decision to implement a policy or implement a design uh, to protect people in case of an accident. So you have the seat belts, the airbags, etc. cetera. Uh, sometimes you have a personal level uh, decisions where uh, people take an action when they hear the fire alarm. And also there's a community level decisions and that's where I'm interested in, uh, in my research. When uh, a governor, uh, or a mayor or a commissioner or maybe an emergency manager or a sheriff makes a decision to implement a, a protective action, whether it is initiate an evacuation or quarantine measures or school closures or community uh, uh, implementation of community uh, protective measures in a case of an emergency. Most of them, most of the what I mentioned actually is stuff that people are aware of right now as we go through a, a public health crisis. So those questions, what we need to know and how we go about our decisions when we want to implement a community level protective action in case of an emergency. That's what I'm researching. And uh, my last uh, phase of uh, my doctorate is a study where I try to validate some of the information requirements and decision criteria. So anyone who's watching with any experience in emergency management at any level, uh, they're invited actually to participate in my study. Nice. Nice. You know what? I might have to talk to you after this about potentially doing some of that because I'm interested as well. Oh, but, wonderful. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another time. Okay. Um, okay, so the second thing I wanted to uh, ask you is kind of where you grew up and if you want to lead that into your faith story with Islam. Um, yeah, where'd you grow up and how'd you become a Muslim? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to just uh, preface, uh, given my interaction in a public... Uh, institution and also service as a public in a public office I want to give the disclaimer anything I share here is uh, either my personal views or my views of uh, a, a community or a faith that uh, I either subscribe to or affiliate with uh, not necessarily any views that I say are reflective of my employer or the public office that I am in or even uh, the uh, public positions uh, that I have uh, so just to be, be very clear about the separation that I uh, cherish and uh, respect and uh, observe. 
the, the place I was born in is Tucson, Arizona. So in American standards, that's where I am from. Uh, but in uh, Middle Eastern standards, uh, I'm from uh, a combination of uh, Lebanese, uh, Syrian, and Saudi, uh, where my ancestors are from. So born in Tucson, Arizona, lived in Phoenix for a couple of years. Uh, and I think toward the end of my kindergarten year, uh, that's where we moved to Saudi Arabia. And that's where my uh, father is from. He's half Saudi, half Syrian. My mom is half Syrian, half Lebanese. And uh, we lived in Saudi for a while. And uh, I used to only speak English with some broken Arabic, Baba, Mama, Marhaba, all of these uh, basic words. Uh, that was not enough for my grandmother. So in uh, two or three months, uh, she was uh, really uh, very efficient in teaching me the Arabic uh, in reading, writing, speaking, and also reciting the Quran. It was a complete immersion in the culture, complete immersion on the need of uh, really speak the language if I need to communicate with others. And uh, that was really amazing experience. I, I, I owe her uh, my fluency in Arabic and my ability to recite the Quran from those early months, uh, as soon as I uh, arrived in Saudi, uh, she was able to help me with that. And uh, actually that was almost the same time where I uh, started to understand faith and understand uh, as our family went through some uh, difficult times and challenging times, I would be um, sitting with my grandmother and we would pray. She taught me how to pray. She taught me uh, how to recite Quran and uh, how to really be able to understand the concepts uh, that what we would call right now as an adult what I would call the moral values of the of faith um, and that's that's how it started and as I grew up in Saudi Arabia I went through the public education uh, system there and uh, Saudi Arabia is a Muslim country uh, it's uh, it proclaims to be 100 percent uh, Muslim population and uh, the majority of Muslims there are subscribed to the Sunni uh, faith, uh, faith or sect. Uh, so if you would think about it in Christianity uh, terms, uh, there's several den denominations. And uh, the major two are Sunni and Shia. So I belong to the Shia one. Uh, that's what my family uh, subscribed to. And uh, uh, Saudi, the majority is Sunni. And the percentages are not really clear, but I would say probably they're somewhere between 70 to 80 Sunni. And the remaining is other minorities, including majority, majority of the minority is Shia. So that's where I grew up in a, in a community that's Shia, majority Shia, but in a country that's majority Sunni. And the public education there was strictly Sunni. Uh, however, there is a huge overlap between all of them where you learn how to uh, recite the Quran and the basic moral values of the faith. Uh, public education there. Uh, depending on which grade level are you in, uh, social studies, and by social studies, I mean mainly uh, Islamic studies, but some uh, are uh, uh, some uh, history, uh, national education, or what I would call nationalism education, and geography. Uh, this is the combination of them, but I would say religious studies are almost 30% of my education. So I would uh, learn that in school, go back to home and my grandma would give me the perspective of the Shia uh, denomination, how there are some differences. Uh, some basic differences are as basic as when you pray, you would 
one, while standing, you would either put your hands on your uh, on your chest while you're standing. For Sunnis, for Shia, we just put our hands on the sides of uh, on the side. Uh, for Shia, we, when we pray, we raise our hand uh, during some sort of uh, point of time. So very subtle differences. Mm. Uh, there are some uh, also core differences on the origin of the faith. Uh, however. Uh, Mainly, I would say I came to that conclusion and to the challenge that uh, as we might differ in uh, what we call the faith, uh, we might have more of an overlap than what we think. Hmm. Wow, that's a great intro. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, do you, can you tell me a little bit about um, how you came to study uh, engineering and any like STEM background that you have, any experience in science or nature that kind of shaped your view of science and its function in society? Uh, my father, I think, is the reason number one why I'm, I'm, I'm curious and I continue to be curious and want to either understand things or fix things. And I would not settle uh, with an answer of uh, this is how things are. Uh, and I love that. I, I used to ask my father lots of questions and he would uh, give me other leading questions to find the answers uh, on my own or to really enjoy the journey of uh, opening doors and finding what's behind of those doors in terms of topics and, and uh, complexities in the universe. And uh, I enjoyed it a lot. My father was uh, the kind of a parent who would say, I don't know what you think. Do you think this is the way to go about it? Uh, first, have you checked the encyclopedia back in the day when encyclopedia was a thing? Or have you opened the dictionary to find out the meaning of it? And uh, that's really nurtured my understanding. He was very, very willing to give me all of uh, the opportunities to learn. I still remember uh, on one day, uh, it's the day of uh, when my grandfather passed away. And uh, in Islamic faith, uh, between someone passing away and their funeral is few hours. So we were driving from uh, where we are uh, to uh, my father's hometown to uh, go through the funeral and burial uh, ceremony and or uh, events. And on the, on the way, uh, it's a very, very uh, uh, common way that we used to drive through. And there was uh, those huge towers of water desalination and I would look at them every time, and I look at them this time, and I asked my dad about water desalination technology, and we started talking about it. I was in fifth grade, so you can tell my social intelligence was not really that strong at the time. Uh, I'm still working on it, but at the time it was not at all. So I was asking him all of these questions, and just remember, his father just passed away, and uh, he was still uh, entertaining my questions uh, uh, for uh, quite five minutes or more, uh, trying to tell me how technologies are different and uh, is it possible actually to have water desalination without the towers and what kind of technologies could make that possible and I was asking him all of these questions and how can we arrive at some better technology. At one point of time, uh, being the human he is, he told me, uh, son, uh, my father just passed away and I want you to maybe hold on these questions and uh, probably uh, we can talk about them later on, but keep thinking about it. And uh, that's what's like a kind of a shock for me is 
that he was willing to still answer my questions. And I tear every time I think about it because he was always there for me, even at the time where his father passed away. Uh, he went to the most possible extent to keep my curiosity going. Wow. That is quite a story. Thank you. Did your, did your father work in some kind of sciencey or engineering kind of job or, or? Oh yeah. Yeah. So we're a family of engineers. So, uh, he, he, uh, so my, my grandfather, uh, a father of, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, uh, children. Um, I want to make sure I can count my uncles and aunts uh, correctly. Yes. Um, uh, my grandfather, uh, did not have any basic education. Probably he would be able to write some letters or notes uh, uh, in English uh, when he was working uh, as a foreman in Saudi Aramco. And uh, he made sure that his uh, sons and daughters are going to have the best education they can get. So he, my, my father, uh, throughout his education, and uh, he was able to really learn a lot, read a lot, start doing some small inventions back in the 60s and uh, 70s uh, when he was young in Saudi Arabia and he got to have his engineering degree from U of A and worked as an engineer. Now he is uh, leading a, uh, in a, he's a leader in a company uh, as an engineering manager and a, a VP. So uh, for most of his time he was an engineer and also making sure that we are exposed to it in a way or another, but I would say it was self-motivated by me, but I can't really deny the influence of him being an engineer. Um, uh, my two brothers, one of them is an engineer as well, and the other one is uh, an engineering student as well. So it's definitely contagious. Nice. That's great. Okay. Getting right into science and society of the present day. Yeah. From a, from a Muslim perspective, what would you say is the ideal relationship between science and engineering and society? Like, what should science's role be? So, to understand your question, what should science's role be in society under that Muslim or Islamic doctrine? Is that? Yeah. That? Okay. So, um, this is a very interesting one, and I would say a, a very important thing for the a listener to uh, be able to distinguish when I say Islam or Islamic doctrine or Islamic culture, uh, this could uh, be interpreted in so many ways. Uh, given the unique nature of what Islam is, uh, it's a way of life, way of thinking, uh, it's uh, a faith, uh, but also some people uh, may subscribe to it as a way of governing, a way of, uh, 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 a way of really how we decide on how people live and we need to be very careful on uh, what someone is trying to really understand from what we say is islam so um, i might be jumping from different philosophies around what islam mean and i'll try my best to clarify them in general i would say islam uh, came in a community uh came to a community in uh what we call now Saudi Arabia in the area of Hijaz, where Mecca and Medina is, uh, where uh, people there had uh, either a very minimal or no education. Uh, the commerce there was based on the idea of worshippers will come in and they will pay tribute to the idols. That's where uh, a mediator between uh, God and uh, 
the people's uh, wishes or what they want to be fulfilled. And Islam came, or the Prophet Muhammad came, in a way to challenge that mentality, to let people question things, uh, whether from a, a philosophical and religious point of view, you don't need the idols to reach to God. You need to pray directly to God and submit yourself to God and no one else other than God. And that's the really basic core of Islam. Starting from that core or from that seed, uh, the understanding of uh, what is right and what is wrong should be relied on evidence. And that's where actually many of the scripture uh, statements uh, encourage people to seek truth, seek wisdom. Uh, and there is a, a saying, I believe it is a prophet saying, which is uh, the wisdom is, uh, is what a, a person of faith or a believer should look for, and they will look for it wherever they find it. And I believe that's part of uh, the basis of the scientific method. Uh, you should have a question and try to answer it using all the possible tools. And uh, if your hypothesis is rejected by a piece of wisdom, uh, then your hypothesis is wrong. And uh, you say, I learned something. And I believe that's, that's one of the things that I really appreciate in the faith uh, that really tells its people, uh, you don't have all the answers. Probably you will one day, but until you get there, uh, you need to keep uh, looking, uh, keep asking questions, and keep uh, uh, seeking wisdom. And uh, there could be the afterlife. There could be uh, being close to God who knows it all. But until then, we have to rely on the scientific method or whatever methods we have uh, at hand to reach wisdom. And that's the way I believe uh, Islam came about uh, really uh, embracing the idea of science. Hmm. Wow. Would you say that science is primarily to serve people? Or would you say it's um, maybe that and, and also some of just studying for studying sakes to discover, um, you know, natural truth? Or uh, if, if you had to, like, say what science is for? Like, well, okay, so to back up, some people would say that um, science should serve people, like, like mainly, and not like animals and plants. And then others would say that they put people and animals and plants all on the same, on the same level, um, and that we should be helping them all equally. Does Islam yeah. have anything to say about that? Yeah, Josiah, this is a really difficult question, and I, I still struggle with the answer to it. I'm not sure if there's any, probably ethicists have a better answer to it than me. Um, probably in, 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 a, in my view, I believe harm should be mitigated from happening to anyone, and no one is better than the other. Uh, the idea or the concept of superiority of humans over other creatures is a very challenging and and uh, dangerous one. Uh, we should be very careful about it. And I have to I have to disclose I my personal views of uh, several uh, faith systems. So one of them is my own as well. Could hint to the idea that uh, uh, you're special. You descended from heaven, and uh, you're you're the stewards of land and. And, and that could give us a hint of, oh, so we're the best here. We're going to rule the world. And actually, I believe that we have to push the brakes there as soon as we get to think about that. 
in uh, stewards of the land is the most important thing that makes me actually stop there and think of what does that mean? Uh, does it mean that uh, uh, I have full authority on uh, what we do uh, under a certain doctrine and I, I can do whatever I want uh, to serve uh, my best good? Uh, I think the answer is no. Uh, stewardship means uh, protecting uh, animals, protecting plants, and and uh, and everyone involved on on this earth. And I think uh, one good statement I can think of is the conversation in the Quran, uh, and it, these are some uh, verses in the Quran about uh, the uh, pre-creation. So before Adam came to be. Uh, God had a statement to the angels saying, uh, I'm going to have a descendant or a Khalifa. Khalifa means uh, a successor. Uh, I'm going to have a successor uh, for me uh, on earth. And the angels had this conversation to God and they, they said, why would you have such a, such a creation that would destroy the land and, and maybe make it more corrupt than what it is? And uh, God responded in a very vague answer, uh, I know what you don't know. So there is something good about it. Uh, you don't know it, but I see your point that uh, probably humans might be destroying the earth. Uh, and, and that gets me really to wonder our purpose on earth, uh, including uh, our usage of science, is to really serve all. So testing on animals, probably we're doing it right now. Uh, Muslims uh, and Jews uh, they, uh, perform kosher or halal uh, uh, proceedings with the animals before they consume them. And uh, that's a way of stewardship with animals. But maybe we need to be stepping up one more step and say, uh, we're using animals for our best interests, whether in terms of scientific testing or even consuming and we have our own understanding of what is the best way or humane way to treat animals before we consume them. Uh, that's where we are right now. And I, when I hear my friends and colleagues who challenge even that uh, idea and telling me testing on animals or even consuming animals, no matter how you think it is humane, uh, it gives you this idea that maybe you're more superior and they're serving your own purposes uh, on the expense of their misery or their uh, uh, suffering that makes me to really stop and uh, think twice. So I'm not sure if I can answer your question uh, fully other than saying, no, probably science should be for the betterment of all and for the protection of all, hmm. all yeah. others. Right. How do you spell halal uh, in case somebody's wanting to look into that more? Halal is ha-lam, uh, alif-lam, uh, or h-a-l-a-l. Awesome. And uh, just to be, uh, uh, to clarify it really quickly, halal is uh, vaguely the equivalent of, of kosher in the Old Testament or Jewish uh, teachings. Uh, it's not completely equivalent. Uh, halal uh, literally means permitted, uh, which means uh, what are you allowed to eat, consume, and what are you not allowed to eat and consume is not halal. And uh, there are some basic uh, understandings of uh, the the animals that you can consume, the way that they should be processed, butchered, uh, raised, etc. And if they are not under certain uh, parameters, then they're not halal. Yeah. Okay. Nice.
Um, are there any other stories or texts from Islam that you wanted to bring up? Um, yeah, there are some, I would say, there's a lot, but I would say one of the things that I would uh, refer people to as they hear uh, about Islam or about the, the way Islam prioritizes decisions, there is a statement that says, which means make no harm. Uh, make no harm in any decision. So if you have two evils, or if you have uh, uh, any two decisions that you need to make, the criteria to do that is from the prophet saying, which means make sure that you're not doing harm on others or on self as you evaluate the decision. And I think that's one of the most important things that's help us to really think about how science and how uh, treating Earth uh, and, and the environment is is pretty is 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 we we go about it. Yeah. Okay. Are there any? Um, you know, it's fine if you if you don't have any examples offhand of this, but do you, can you think of any like historical examples from Islam of um, of some decision maybe that was made in light of this and in light of science or nature or the environment? Yeah, so one thing uh, I, I feel really uh, glad uh, to, that have, I have been able to study it is the way science evolved from the ancient uh, Greeks all the way until where we are today. And uh, the Muslim uh, uh, culture, and by Muslim culture, our Islamic countries back in the time, in the Golden Ages, known, aka also known as the Dark Ages, uh, they were the ages where uh, Muslim countries, including those who does not subscribe to the Muslim faith, but worked under the Muslim countries, the Amawis and the Abbasis, etc. Um, they they nurtured the idea that we need to make sure that we're preserving knowledge and we're building on it. Uh, so one of the very famous examples at certain point of time where the Greek knowledge and the Indian knowledge or ancient Asian, Eastern Asian knowledge was there but not widely consumed. And the Khalifas, which is the head of the country, they funded what I would call uh, research institutions. Uh, the basic mandate of these, these research institutions at the beginning of it was to translate all of this knowledge. So you had translators uh, translating uh, knowledge uh, from uh, these cultures and philosophy, other things, and some of them were challenging for the faith. So tra translating philosophy from the Greeks, uh, even as uh, my uh, friends from other uh, uh, faiths, they might relate to some challenging uh, clashes back in the history between what philosophy means and what theology means. Uh, still, those uh, leaders, uh, and they were like the head of the state, the head of the Islamic state. They were like bring it in, translate it, and for the translators, you're going to get the weight of your books in gold as a compensation. And let's remember, paper back then was really heavy. So, <laughs> so it's, a, it's just quite a lucrative uh, way to, to uh, bring knowledge, nurture it, and build on it. So the Muslim culture back then uh, uh, was relying on some of the most fundamental uh, pieces of uh, knowledge that uh, we still uh, refer to and they further generated some basic research and some fundamental research in science and philosophy and technology and 
and other uh, means where we can see now without that we would not be where we are and I would be able to give you lots of examples modern examples of uh, uh, telescopes cameras and uh, measurement systems uh, uh, what else uh, medicine all of these things that were originated from the idea that the state uh, the Islamic State was uh, uh, furthering science uh, research and science production uh, with funding, with interest, and that was not only uh, for the Muslims, by the Muslims, to the Muslims, it was uh, by the Muslim state. However, uh, there were so many non-Muslim researchers who were uh, under that umbrella, they were contributing to the science and technology. And uh, uh, some examples I can think of is Thabit ibn Furrah uh, was a, a Jew, uh, was a Saudi, I think, and there was another one who was a Jewish uh, mathematician. Uh, so they were not, but they were getting the funding, getting the support, and some of them went all the way to the uh, to the level of being a minister in the in the nation. And uh, that that's something I feel really uh, uh, grateful for, as not as a Muslim, but as as a human being, knowing that at a certain point of time, at the height of uh, religious uh, identity as a mean of uh, claiming a pride and also uh, controlling territories, because you had Christian states, you had a Muslim states, you had uh, the Crusade Wars, the Inquisitions, and uh, all of these things, the fights that were under the name of uh, uh, faith. At the same time, uh, at that point of time, you had uh, an interest in furthering science that was uh, completely grounded by what's best for humankind. And uh, it was bringing in all the resources regardless of the faith. Wow, that's amazing. I love the, because they really emphasize collaboration there with bringing even non-Muslims to translate and, and uh, write these things down. That's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you happen to remember, like, um, I don't know, what, who, was, who was ruling, what regime was ruling at that time or the time period? Yeah. So uh, Al-Abbasin Al is the dynasty that uh, was uh, well known for science research and also Al-Amawiyin, especially uh, in Andalusia, which is right now known as Spain and Portugal. Uh, so uh, after, after the Prophet's rule you had, uh, you had Al-Khulafah al-Rashidin, and then there was a dynasty called Al-Amawin. Some scientific research and how was happening during Al-Amawin dynasty. Uh, and then immediately after you had Al-Abbasin, Al-Amawin, some of them moved to Andalusia. And at that point of time, uh, you had most of the research there. Um, Harun al-Rashid, I believe, uh, and uh, don't quote me on that, but possibly Harun al-Rashid was the one who, uh, initiated the creation of Baghdad uh, as we know it today and with the creation of the city there was also a creation of a university there or what we call today a university that was a research university that started doing all of that research and scientific research at the time and also bringing in the translators. Wow that's that's great and you know it actually plays into science ed education or education in general and um, this wasn't on my list of potential things to ask you about, but I'm guessing you might have something to say just because you're the chair of the Corporate School District. Um, yeah, does Islam, obviously we see a historical precedent for high emphasis and value 
on education and even in like a high pay for people that are doing that kind of work with the weight of the books in gold as pay, which is um, crazy. <laughs> can you can you speak to um, education in turn from the perspective of Islam? Is there anything else you want to say about that? Um, I'm not sure if I understand the question. Could you repeat it one more time? Just to make sure. sure I understand. Yeah. From your Muslim perspective, what's, uh, I guess, is there anything else you can say about the value of education, maybe specifically science education from Islam? Yeah. Um, I, I would say it is one of the most important things in Islam is to learn, is to seek knowledge, seek wisdom. Um, and I think that's that's one of the things that I, I believe is critical to the development of the society. Uh, as as Muslims, we are we are taught to really seek knowledge in so many different ways. And I, I, I'm not going to bring in uh, scriptures and translate it top down. I'm going to bring it bottom up. So for me, as a, a person who lived in a Muslim society for a while uh, through my K through 12, I, I grew up with the understanding of uh, when the new month comes in, and that's really important for Ramadan, observing Ramadan is not determined on the calendar uh, as calculated, but it's determined on the calendar as observed by the moon sightseeing. The beginning of the month is uh, done by seeing the crescents above the horizon. Also, prior times were determined based on the calculation of the heights of the, not the height, yeah, the length of the shadow um, from a certain pole. So there was some ways of calculating uh, prior times and all these things. Now. With advanced technology, uh, you still can refer to a calendar and see what's the new month or see the announcements from the news. But for someone curious like me, especially when I hear about Sunni and Shia and so many different Shia scholars say, actually, the month is not starting tomorrow, it's starting to, uh, the day after. And I ask, why is that? And then I see the subtle differences between uh, each uh, scholar and the other about what does it qualify as signing the moon? Is it signing the moon as knowing the moon exists? Is it signing the moon as knowing that the moon can be seen? Uh, and regardless if you can see it or not, but you know it is there and you can calculate that? Or is it by seeing it with a naked eye? Is it seeing it with a, with a binoculars? So all of these discussions, which is could be perceived as you're not bringing unity to a community that needs to know should we have our meal tomorrow and celebrate or should we not um, so that's that could be perceived as one way as such and there's a really important discussion there about how can we bring unity around what rules we should be observing for cultural and religious celebrations that's one thing the other thing for me that i i brought from this is my curiosity about astronomy and my understanding uh, about how the moon and the light, that's right, uh, the light and the shadow of the moon and all, all the things about the moon happen uh, and how you can calculate that, uh, why those scholars are differing from each other and how my knowledge about science informs me about all of these things. 
uh, I came more interested in astronomy and about physics because of some uh, uh, religious related or practices related uh, questions. Uh, so it is really interested. It's, it's really interesting that some of our day-to-day -day, uh, practices are informed by the universe around us. And there is one, two ways to go about it. One way is just listen to others and say, and follow what they say. And another way to say, huh, this is interesting. So uh, the way the sun sets and the knowledge that the sun actually sets either before or after, then I see it. Uh, that makes a difference and really being curious about these things that gets us to really acknowledge and appreciate uh, science and want to learn more and I, I believe it's inherent in the faith that we have lots of practices that relates us to the universe and to nature. Wow yeah now does this relate to or, or give you motivation for your role in uh, education with the Corvallis School District? Uh, no. Uh, so to be very clear, uh, my motivation for uh, education, especially my involvement with Corval School District, is uh, grounded by an important part of uh, what makes a good civil society uh, a, a good and healthy one. The cornerstone of any democracy is to provide public education for everyone. And uh, that means uh, that everyone can access it. It's not biased toward any certain creed or ideology. It's really grounded by uh, truths. Uh, it's grounded by uh, understanding the universe, understanding uh, what makes us uh, better persons and better, better communities. So uh, I think that in the words of Jefferson, uh, probably, if I'm not mistaken, is that uh, the core that you can't have a, a good democracy without good public education or something like that. Uh, and that's where I, I really truly believe in it. My involvement in the Corral School District and in public life serving uh, our community is really my understanding that as a, as a democracy, we can't have informed voters, we can't have scientists, engineers, and scholars without really providing an equalizer where everyone is welcome, where everyone can access uh, a place where they can learn. And uh, so far, I think in, in our community in the United States, probably the only place that is uh, that sacred and that welcomes everyone, no matter uh, where they come from, who they are, what's the income of their parents, uh, what's our perceived uh, understanding of their intelligence or capability, no matter all of these things, they are all welcome and they all can be the best engineers, best scientists, best uh, researchers, best politicians, and most important, the best voters that can be informed about what matters for them. And that's really my motivation. Uh, so mm -hmm. as, I, as I think and, and uh, read policy, develop policy, and vote and uh, engage with our staff. Uh, I, I don't say I put my faith on the side. Uh, I put my faith in my heart and it informs my values. However, the way that we should be all functioning in public education is uh, thinking that's for the betterment of a secular society. And by secular, I mean a society that respects all religions and all faiths, uh, that we have to be very, uh, cautious on what we bring into public education uh, and in my understanding what I bring in 
is what I value in education. It's its power to make us all better. That's phenomenal. Wow. I love the perspective that you're able to bring from this and even the distinctions like the ones you just made. Thank you. Thank you. This is phenomenal. Um, and just to be clarifying, I think one thing we should be really uh, careful about, uh, one, one, time, uh, one time I had a, a candidate for governor uh, who uh, eventually did not get the nomination or even uh, get elected. Uh, he was running for our governor and we had, I had a conversation with him one-on-one uh, -on -one, and one thing he told me that he wants to make the country, uh, the state or the country a Christian country or he believes this is a Christian country. And after we had this conversation back and forth, I asked him some questions what he means about Christian country and do I as a Muslim have a place in it. Uh, we arrived at, oh, what you mean as a Christian country is what I mean as a secular country. Uh, which is a place where, uh, uh, in his view, Christianity allows, or a Christian country allows uh, everyone to be who they are as long as we abide by uh, the moral values that we should all agree on. Now, maybe he has his interpretation about what the moral values are for him, but the way he described it, it's meant for me as secular. And I know it's very, very, totally wrong for me to say, I believe this is a Muslim country which respects everyone's culture and everyone's uh, ability to learn. So even though the language and the terms might be uh, different in the way that we describe how we should pursue science, how we should uh, uh, teach our kids and what education is, um, maybe in my personal view, the best way to describe it's a secular that respects all faiths uh, and respects all people uh, where they come from, but not influence their uh, faith uh, through the public sphere. Uh, I think that's what I would call like a secular. Some other people actually think about that as identical to Christian uh, or even Muslim. Uh, I might disagree with that term, but maybe we agree on the idea that uh, we should be grounded on everyone is welcome and everyone should seek knowledge wherever they find it without yeah. prejudice. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting how sometimes we can have the same concept or values in our minds, but then we, we label it in different terms like that. It's just really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it is interesting and unfortunate sometimes because with terms, uh, you can get people to subscribe to an idea or, or even shut down from not even listening to an idea immediately. Mm. And we have to be very careful about it. Um, yeah. Say, uh, maybe this is a unique perspective. It's not, it's not Sami, it's not, it's only Sami, it's not the Muslim view or any other view. I believe part of what religion came about is to speak to people in a language they understand. And probably this is uh, applicable for the Abrahamic religions uh, very clearly when we hear in the Old Testament that Moses used to. Uh, uh, language and the means of communication that was appropriate to his time, to his people. The same thing that happened uh, with Jesus and the same thing happened with Prophet Muhammad. They all mentioned uh, things and brought uh, stories that relate to the people at the time and maybe uh, to the people now for all the time uh, that speaks to them and we still understand it in certain words. And we need to be careful when a religion or even a marketing campaign, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm not going to make a religion equivalent to a marketing campaign, but I think marketing campaigns 
learn a lot from how to influence people. When someone wants to influence people, they use the words that are easier for them to subscribe to. Mm-hmm. And we need to be careful when I pray and when I hear words that resonates to me, I want to be very careful that uh, maybe what resonates to me, the words that resonates to me, that makes me follow this uh, direction would not work for another person who lived in a different culture or listens to a different, uh, uh, a different uh, scripture. So even uh, the way I think about it is that God is speaking us all uh, in different languages. And that's where uh, our, the encouragement for us to seek the truth might be different. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. And, and one thing I'm also fascinated about is, is communication and how we can do this best, uh, especially when it comes to really tough science and environmental issues where people need to work together. Um, is there any, like off the top of your head, can you think of any ways that we can be better communicating um, about science? Yeah. Um... I think the most important thing about communicating science is understanding those subtle uh, differences and how people uh, consume knowledge and consume science. Uh, when one thing I think is really critical for us is not to be afraid from talking about uh, contentious issues and really challenging our knowledge about them uh, and try to seek a better understanding about them. However, we need to understand when we communicate science that people have a different way of different, different system view or a different worldview about what the world is. And we need to start from that. Um, I, I believe in that scientific method is really phenomenal, but it's also a little bit complex for us to understand at the get go. So. Mm-hmm really one important thing about science and even engineering is that we state our assumptions. We state what we know and what we don't know. And we make sure that we're providing a conclusion that's very specific. Uh, Unfortunately, that has been uh, the challenge. Most of the time when I read a paper and then I see a news uh, release about it, and then I see another tweet about the news release, uh, the telephone a uh, game works there in a very, very challenging way. And uh, then you go into how people perceive it. Uh, I think that's a, that's a problematic uh, thing that we need to be aware of uh, is what are, what are my, uh, what are my assumptions and my preconceived believed, uh, beliefs that I already have and how that is making me consume what I'm reading and is what I'm reading really accurate. So we need to be really and deliberative in how we consume science. Mm, yeah. Okay, I want to kind of shift gears here um, and ask you about climate change. Um, it's I guess real. By, uh, by asking you, what, what's your perspective on climate change? It's real. <laughs> nice. What, what would you say that we should do about it? And that's a huge question, but maybe, maybe bigger picture, you know, thousand foot view. Um, was your faith, like as a Muslim, do you see any kind of moral, um, moral, I'm trying to think of the right word, like, like push or precedent to do something about climate change? Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. Um, I believe 
the worst thing about working about climate change is the word I believe. Ah. I, I think climate change, whether you are a climate change believer or denier, is a wrong way to start about it. Um, I know many people who believe that climate change is happening, but they don't know what's under the hood. And I know many people who think that climate change is not happening or it's not induced by human activity and they don't know what's happening under the hood, what's dynamic and what's the evidence. Unfortunately, that led us to be victims to marketing campaigns or to uh, politicians who will get, get us to do one thing or the other without being really careful about the decisions we make and careful about what does it mean? So the most important thing for us is to take a step back and to seek wisdom by asking questions and really go to the source, go to the environmental scientists and to uh, the system scientists who are under, and studying this, these systems and telling us that without any doubt, uh, the human activity in the past uh, 50 to 60, 70 years is uh, creating uh, climate disruption that is very dangerous. So that's the first start for us as I'm informed by the moral value of no harm, make no harm, but also that the wisdom is, uh, is something that a, a person should follow regardless where it is. We need to be careful of where we get the knowledge. It's not from uh, statements of politicians, it's from the science and we need to really look into that. Now. Uh, as my faith informs me about climate change, I can relate to one uh, one thing that is very important about it is make no harm. Another thing I could think about is there is, I think, a saying either from the Prophet Muhammad or in the scripture. It's, it's, it says that if you had, if you were the last human standing on earth and the judgment day is approaching, so everyone passed away and for some reason you're the only one and you have in your hand a small uh, uh, tree starter or plant starter, make sure you put that starter in, on the ground, uh, in the ground and uh, put some water there so it can grow. So the idea that we should always think that there is a future that we have to be stewards for of, and mm. our successors and we are uh, uh, trusted on this planet to make it a better place than we found it. Uh, that's what I hear from the scripture. This is where I believe uh, is our moral duty as people who are fortunate to consume from uh, this planet is to really uh, be a steward to sustain it. Uh, so sustaining this planet is really a challenging concept uh, when we get to not see the impact of uh, the coffee we drink and the technology that we consume and and the car we drive everything we do is is going to have a side effect and an impact all the way to uh, a, a, a situation where we can't see uh, what could happen in a year what could happen in 10 years and that that's that's really challenging for me uh, as a person of faith, as a person who believes in a better future for our children, 
that mm -hmm. should be there uh, if we think critically about it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question, but I believe uh, my views about, about climate change are both influenced by the idea that we're stewards on, on Earth uh, and also that there's no other option. What, what's the other option? <laughs> That's an excellent point. Yeah, like if we don't take care of the Earth, then it gets pretty messed up then oh shoot well that's yeah <laughs> yeah and it, it yeah i think it's a moral duty whether we believe in in any any end results i believe i, I believe that in my faith at least and i hope uh, in i i understand it in all the other faiths we want to make the last day on earth as best as possible and hopefully it's not the last day we want to make sure earth is sustainable as much as possible. And I, I think any misinterpretation of that, I might be biased here, or I might not have a full understanding of what religion is, if I'm mistaken here. But I believe any religion should have this idea that we should plan ahead, that tomorrow should be better than today. And the last day on earth is going to be as best as possible. And hopefully it's not going to be the last day on earth. Uh, and I, I think that's our moral duty. We should make sure we're keeping earth as a best as possible all the way for our grand, grand, grandchildren. Uh, it's a moral duty. Maybe it's a theological duty for all of us. Uh, if it is, then it, that should be the motivation. And if anyone has an understanding otherwise, I believe they need to, we need to examine our faith. If we think that we should not care about the la about the future, maybe there's something wrong about how we understand our faith. Maybe this is a challenge for our faith um, hmm. because the reason religion existed, I believe, is to make us better and to make uh, the earth better and to make uh, the situation for our kids and grandkids better. So we need to really examine that and make sure that's the case for us. Wow. Well, that's about all I have. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, throw out there before I close? Yeah, um, thanks for uh, listening to my ramblings. I think uh, we talked a lot about so many things, uh, but I think the most important thing we need to think of is uh, science and faith are not mutually exclusive, but also they have to sometimes to be. Uh, when we want to learn about things, we need to be grounded by our moral values. Uh, we need to understand that as a Muslim or non-Muslim uh, person of faith, uh, knowledge is there for us to seek it. And our understanding of my religion should not be a hurdle or a challenge from getting there. It should be a motivation. Mm. Uh, I, I think of so many contentious issues that we face today uh, in 100 years will be no-brainer. And maybe our understanding of faith is the reason that it facilitates that understanding, or maybe it's the reason that it's a uh, it. And I could think about so many concepts that uh, are contentious right now, whether it is abortion or climate change, etc. Think about it. Uh, uh, and we need to think about it that way. Uh, what's our moral values? what science tells us about it and what's best for the whole community and the whole society 
if we really think about those things in that those steps um, we should not say this is how my religion answers these questions end of discussion or maybe let me look into any evidence that supports my uh, belief about the these situations uh, and I, I, I usually have to close in a good uh, uh, good closing statements, but I would say I would close with a challenging statement that makes us think about a challenge in a challenging way. Uh, abortion in Islam is treated completely different than how modern uh, we modernly here uh, treat it uh, in uh, in America. Where uh, I would say this is one of the most challenging things to think about. So the worst uh, uh, events in a woman's uh, uh, time when she decides to. Uh, uh, have an abortion and uh, I, I have a belief under the Islamic faith we have a belief that the soul is there when someone is uh, 40 days after fertilization uh, and after that it's a soul and there is some other rules around how to go about treating different souls so if the mother's health in jeopardy you have to protect the mother etc uh, and uh, there is all of these rules and all of these things that we think about it uh, I would encourage Muslims to seek uh, to understand how Christians and uh, non, uh, other religious uh, uh, folks uh, think about abortion. And I would encourage people from uh, a different uh, faith to see how Muslims look at it. And then eventually, after we look at each other, I want us to look into, is our understanding about our faith on a concept that's this challenging, like abortion, is hindering us from doing what's best? So as my public stand, I believe it's a decision for the woman to make. Uh, religion should not be uh, influencing that decision unless it is the personal belief for the woman. Uh, and also the doctor should influence her decision so it's informed by science. And that's what I arrived to as Sami, as a person who believed that uh, my faith uh, should not influence how I uh, make a stance on this uh, view because it's not a personal view, it's a public view. And also that my faith should not influence a public view on this. It's a personal decision that a woman should uh, observe. So that's where I hope that we can arrive at so many other challenging concepts, so whether it is abortion or climate change, what is best for the whole community and how our faith is facilitating or hindering uh, what's best for all. Wow, we covered so much today. So we got Thank some Economy, education, abortion, climate change. This has been phenomenal. Thank you so much, Sammy. This is this is a great interview, and I really appreciate your time today. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much.